0: We turn in God's Word this evening to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, not dealing with those verses that come at the end that we all love so dearly and uh, hear so clearly. There is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. But We are going to instead focus our attention on verse 16 this evening. These words, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But to set that verse in context, we go back to verse 1 and read 1 through 17. Let's hear then God's breathed out word to us tonight. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for your word. All of your word is breathed by the Spirit and and beautiful Father. But there's something about this passage that touches our hearts in a very, very special way. We just pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he brings this word this evening. Grant him everything that he stands in need of, Father. We praise you for the preparation that has gone into this. And, dear Lord, we just pray that you'll give him the words. And, Father, if there is somebody in the hearing of this that does not enjoy that assurance given by the Spirit, we ask if you would uh, use us this night, Father, to further your word and your kingdom, that uh, hearts will be changed. This, in this precious name of Jesus, our Savior, alone we pray. Amen. And amen. One's lack of assurance does not mean that you are not saved. Our assurance is not the condition of our salvation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I might not have complete assurance. Sometimes that assurance may waver. Sometimes there may be circumstances that you and I are called to journey through in life, in which perhaps we, in our human nature, question. But that is not the determining factor of my salvation. My lack of a firm grip upon Christ Jesus does not determine whether or not I'm saved. What determines my salvation is Christ's firm grip upon me. In the Westminster Confession, they deal with this subject of assurance. And in all of its explanations that that I have read and gone through over the number of years that we've been in the OPC, it becomes clear that this is an issue that God's people need to hear about. Because there is also hope. God provides for us knowing that we are people who are going to lack assurance. He comes alongside of us. And he nourishes us. And he strengthens us. And he provides means by which our assurance might grow, might deepen. But even then, I may wonder, I may not feel it, but it doesn't change God's grip upon you and I. And yet, God wants us to know about assurance. God wants us to know what is out there and what is available. God wants us to know that he desires and it is his desire that we grow in our assurance. But even as we do so, first of all, the the Westminster Confession deals with false assurance. And so that'll be our first point false assurance. And then we'll delve into Romans chapter 8, true assurance. Jesus often, throughout the Gospels, deals with those who have a false assurance. They're called the religious leaders of his day. They're called the Pharisees, Sadducees, the chief priests, and the scribes. Jesus often teaches about their false assurance. Let me give you three situations in which this occurs. First of all, he teaches a parable. He teaches a parable about a man who builds barns. A man who looks at that which he has made and and says... I will myself build bigger barns. I will do more and more. I can do this and I can accomplish this. The man was full of assurance. He was very sure of himself. He was very sure of his abilities. He was very sure of his knowledge. He was very sure of the growth of his business. And so he goes out and plans. Jesus says, you fool. This very night, your life will be required of you. You see, if our assurance is based upon self, that which we do, that which we accomplish, if our assurance is is a human pride, as it is with the the man in the parable, the scriptures and Jesus call that a a false assurance. That's a false hope. That's a false peace. Or we could go to the parable of Jesus and the teaching about the Pharisee and the, the tax collector. There, the assurance of the Pharisee seems to be his superiority over this tax collector, this publican. He spends all of his time in comparison, in comparing himself to that other man. I am superior to him. I must be better. I must be saved. I must be righteous. After all, look at how good I am compared to that man. Now, yes, it still has that, that note of pride, but, but there, is, there is this idea that, well, I certainly can have assurance because look at that guy over there. And look at that person over there. Look at that person three rows ahead of me in the pew. I must, I, I have assurance because I'm certainly a much better person than they are. So I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm one of God's children because I'm just that much better than other people. That too. That arrogance is a false assurance. It's a false hope. Thirdly, it's the assurance that's based upon a lie. What did these Jewish leaders often claim? Well, we're sons of Abraham. And certainly, being a son of Abraham, being a descendant of Abraham, makes us... One of those who are going to inherit the kingdom. Of course we have assurance. We're very confident. Because of our pedigree, because of our background, because we are certainly the true sons of Abraham. Maybe with a sneer in the direction of the north to the Samaritans. Maybe a sneer in the direction of others who didn't hold their same religious views. What does Jesus say to them? You're sons of your father, the devil. You're not sons of Abraham. Your confidence, although you're full of assurance, you think you're righteous. You think you have an inheritance coming to you. You think you're going to be rewarded by God. But it's based upon a lie. The lie is this, you are saying you're sons of Abraham when the truth is you're sons of the devil. That's who your father is, not Abraham. And so yes, it is possible to have false assurance. If we're looking to ourselves and that which we do, that which we have accomplished, that which we have done, the progress we have made in our lives, If we're looking at other people in comparison and saying, well, I'm certainly a much better person than they are, obviously I'm going to go to heaven because look at how bad their life is. Or if we're basing it upon an outright lie. Of course I'm going to heaven, I'm an Orthodox Presbyterian. Of course I'm going to heaven. My dad and grandfather and grandfather after that were all Christians. Of course I'm going there. Of course I'm going to heaven. I show up at church twice a Sunday. Haven't missed the Lord's Supper in years. Of course I'm assured. I've been baptized. I walked an aisle. If it's based upon ourselves, It's based upon what we have done. It's a false assurance. Much of modern psychology is based upon this, is it not? It's based upon that, well, you, you just need, you, you try a little harder. You can overcome. You can do this. You can win the prize. You can Reach your goals. You can reach your full potential. It's within you. Just you need to release it. You need to get there. What a false hope. What false assurance. Especially when that's transferred over into the spiritual realm. But you see, Paul in Romans chapter 8 is speaking not of a false assurance, as Jesus has so clearly done throughout the gospel. He's addressing brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's coming alongside of them and saying, there is a true assurance. What does that look like? Well, it's based upon the work of the Holy Spirit. And so our first point under letter two is this, or number two, is it's confirmed by the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 16 again. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say, you need the Spirit... And you need the work of the Spirit in order to prove that you are a Christian. Paul doesn't say you need some extraordinary display of the Spirit's presence in your life to indicate that you are a Christian. Paul doesn't say you need to rely upon the Spirit causing you to, well, let's say, for example, Perform a miracle. You don't need the Holy Spirit to somehow allow you to speak in tongues. That'll give you the confidence you need to have. That'll give you the assurance. This is not some sort of increase past Christ. This isn't Paul saying, look, I understand I've I've written a lot about in Christ, but, but really what you need is you need the Spirit. Just Christ is not sufficient enough. That's not what he's saying. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. See, what the Spirit does is he testifies to us of the truth. He is simply taking the truth of God's Word, of God's spoken Word, of God's revealed Word, of God's Word in Jesus Christ. What the Spirit does is He takes the truth as already given. He doesn't add to it. He doesn't increase it. He doesn't add some new revelation. He doesn't add some new point of contact with God. He simply takes the truth... and speaks it to us. The Spirit himself testifies to our spirit. He does this by the word. He does this later on tonight by the sacrament. This is another means that the Spirit uses to take the truth, the reality of Jesus' death, the reality of Jesus' crucified. The reality of Jesus' full atonement, the reality that Jesus died upon a cross to save you from your sin. The Spirit takes that, testifying to our own spirit that it's true. See, that's what happens. That, that's this, this phrase that we use about that the, that the sacraments are means of grace. This, this is a means that the Holy Spirit uses to testify to our spirit, what? That we are the children of God. Why? Because Christ died. Because Christ paid the price. See, it's not, got nothing to do with me looking at what I've achieved. It's got nothing to do with, with me Comparing myself to someone else. It's got nothing to do with false lies. It's got everything to do with Christ crucified. The Spirit himself in this sacrament testifies to my spirit. What? That I am a child of God. But notice that. He testifies to the truth. But he testifies Alongside my spirit. There's a Paul is saying the Holy Spirit comes alongside confirming the truth that we already know and confess. And we're not talking about salvation. Okay, we're not talking about being born again. If you've been along with this journey in the Westminster Confession, that's already happened. We're journeying this Christian through his Christian life. He's been born again. He's been justified. He's been adopted. He's sanctified. Now comes the question of, but, but does that Christian and can that Christian live with assurance? The Holy Spirit comes alongside of our spirit. Isn't this what Jesus actually told us about the Spirit coming? Isn't this what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 16? That there's going to come one who is going to be our helper. Some translations say our advocate. The meaning of both is one who stands alongside. It's it's the same concept that we have in, in the creation of Eve who will be a help meet, we have the Holy Spirit coming alongside as our advocate. When we use the word advocate, it's a law scene. It's a law picture. And the Holy Spirit is there taking our side of the case. See, the one who wants us to disbelieve this assurance, the one who wants to rob us of our assurance is the constant accuser, Satan. So we're we're, we're in this courtroom scene. Satan over here is constantly accusing Bob. He's constantly accusing you. You can't be a Christian. You aren't really a Christian. Look what you just did. Look what you just said. Look what you just thought. You can't be a Christian. It's impossible that you're a Christian. Look at what you're going through in life. How in the world could you be a Christian? If you were a Christian, why would you be going through this hardship? Why would you be going through this hard time? You can't be a Christian if you're enduring all of this. Or if you're going through these experiences. Onslaught after onslaught after onslaught. We in our hearts know We're innocent because of Jesus Christ. We're not innocent because of us. We know that we're guilty. We know we're sinners. But we know that Jesus Christ suffered on a cross and paid the penalty for our sin. We have confessed our sin. We have acknowledged our sin. And we look to Christ and to Christ alone. But you know what? In a courtroom, we're not really allowed to stand, are we? somebody else stands. It's the Holy Spirit who stands to defend us against the accusations of Satan. You know what he's doing? He's agreeing with our spirit. He believes us. I know we all think, you know, lawyers, you know, they're just in it for the money. You know, maybe some are, but... There's probably some when you're accused of a crime and you say, I'm innocent. And you lay the facts before them. They go, I agree with you. You are innocent. And I will do my utmost to defend you. I will do everything I possibly can because I believe that is the truth that you are innocent. Now, would the Holy Spirit agree with the Father and Son that I am innocent of the accusations that Satan is bringing because of the finished work of Christ? I think the Spirit would agree with that. I think the Spirit would agree, yes, you're innocent of the accusations Satan is bringing against you because you're trusting not in yourself, Not in a comparison, not in a lie, but you are basing it on the truth. Jesus Christ died for my sins. The Holy Spirit stands up, agreeing with our spirit. He is our advocate. He speaks the truth. Listen to Paul. Right? Remember what this follows chapter 7 in his struggle with sin. You think Paul wasn't sometimes questioning? You don't think Paul was at times going hmm. think about my sinful past and what happens? The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit with that truth. And what does he bear witness to? I am a child of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that standing and taking on Satan on my own is a very wise idea. I don't think that's real smart of me to show up in that courtroom as my own lawyer. I think it's wiser to take the advocate, to take the helper, To take the one who's going to stand and defend me. Who is this spirit? God himself. Testifying to the truth. This is a child of God. But you know, Satan is relentless. (laughs) Keeps coming back. You know, in this country we have this Thing We can't be charged with the same crime twice. (laughs) Satan knows of no such thing. Because he just keeps coming back with the same charges over and over and over again. You know, sometimes we're wearied. But we have an advocate. We have a tireless advocate who stands and speaks the truth. This one is a child of God. See, our assurance is not in that which we do. It's the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. What is he confirming? Well, as Dr. Tim so beautifully put it for two sermons, that I am a child of God. And I'm a child of God. That's who I am. A born again child of God. Not a child of the father of lies. But a child of God. True assurance then is that which is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit confirm this? Through his own work. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, When I leave, I'm sending the Spirit, and he will guide you into all truth. He's the one who will guide you to that which is the truth. Now once again, Is it my bragging about my works? Is it my comparison? Is this something I do? Or is this something that God graciously gives to us as believers? A Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is promised by Jesus himself to come and to guide us to the truth. In Romans 16, what is the truth? That I can have the assurance that I am a child of God. In spite of past sin, in spite of today's sin, in spite of tomorrow's sin, in spite of tomorrow's difficulties, whatever they may be, I am a child of God. Is that because Bob Van Manen says it? No, it's because God says it. It's because Jesus Christ says it. And it's because the Holy Spirit leads me and guides me to that truth. Look at back in verse 14 of Romans chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God. What's the next word in your version? Are, at least that's what it is in the ESV, are. That's pretty definitive. It's not those who are led by the Spirit of God might be sons of God. It's a possibility they're on the right side. Time will tell, we'll see. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. How does the Spirit work this? How does the Spirit go about confirming in our hearts and in our lives that we are the children of God by guiding us to the truth, by leading us to the truth? He brings us to the truth that already exists. He's not inventing something new. He's not setting up a new situation. He's not going, boy, you're really struggling. Let me come up with a new way by which I can give you assurance. Let me come up with some spectacular gift that I might bestow upon you. And once you have that spectacular gift, you'll go, I must be a Christian because look at the gift I have. He takes us back to the same truth. Always the truth. That's what the Spirit does. Where does my assurance come from? The work of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? He takes me back to the truth. And then there are evidences. There's evidences in your life, in my life. That the Holy Spirit is at work. Look with me for a moment. at. Just keep your finger here. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. A stubborn page. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12. Now we have received Not the spirit of the world. But the spirit who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. Hear that again. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. But we have received the spirit who is from God. That what? That we might understand the things That God has already freely given to us. And now the Spirit comes alongside and He said, You want evidences that I am at work? Do you cry out, Abba, Father? That's where He goes, isn't it? We've received this adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba! Father! Are we crying out to the Father? Are we in our, our lives looking to Him? Are we people of prayer? That look not to Allah? That look not to a great spirit? But we look to the Father? We look to the one who has laid claim upon us and has adopted us as his children. Even in the midst of our sin, do we turn and say, Father, Father, forgive me. In the midst of the hardships of life, do we turn to the Father? Father! Do you know why you do that? That's the work of the Spirit. That's an evidence of the truth that you are a child of God. Why did Jesus teach us to pray, our Father? Because when we cry, Abba, Father, it's an evidence of the Spirit's work in our hearts and in our lives. The Spirit is confirming a truth that already exists. I'm a child of God. And so are you. In Christ. Through Christ. Because you see, that's what we're doing. We're looking to Christ. Romans 8. Let me go back again. 2 Corinthians this time. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Go down to verse 19. 2 Corinthians 1.19 For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Notice that term. It is God who has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying that It's our looking to Christ. That is an evidence of the Spirit's work. Are you looking to Christ? Are you looking to Christ for salvation? Do you think you can save yourself? Is that where you're looking? Some other religion, some other means, or are you looking to Christ? If you're looking to Christ for your salvation, if you're looking to Christ for your security, if you're looking to Christ for your strength, you know what that is? That's an evidence that the Holy Spirit's at work in you. That's the Holy Spirit coming alongside an already established truth. That those who look to Christ... There is no condemnation. That those who are looking to Christ are children of God. I mean, what a beautiful testimony. My assurance then is not me. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Confirming truths that already exist. But it is also our desire to follow. That's why Paul sets this up in, verse, in chapter 8 verses 1 through 11. How do we live? How do we walk? Are we living according to the flesh? Are we living according to the law? Or are we living according to the Spirit? Are we living the life that the Holy Spirit is leading us to? Now, here's where perhaps we often fall short, right? We're often going, well, wait a minute. I don't do that perfectly. That wasn't the question. Because there's only been one perfect, obedient person. It's never going to be you and I. The question is not, are you following perfectly? The question is, are you following? The question is not, do you sin? Of course you do. The question is, what do you do with your sin? Do you try to earn your own salvation? The question is, do you care about your sin? Do you have a desire, even when you sin? Like Paul in Romans 7 The good that I would that I eat, do not, and the evil that I would not that I do. I want to do the good. I want to do the right. You know why you have that? Because that's the work of the Spirit. That's an evidence of the Spirit at work. And what does that do then? my crying out, Abba, Father, my looking to Christ, my desire to follow. I'm a child of God. The accuser can bring all the accusations he wants, but I'm a child. Because God says so, there is a desire to bring God glory. I don't want my life to to end in in some sort of calamity of ruins that tears God's glory down. I want my my life to be lived. What is the chief end of man to glorify God? That's the desire. Why do I have that desire? Because the Holy Spirit's at work. What is the Holy Spirit confirming? I'm a child of God. Do I have that 100%? No. Nor will any one of us. But that doesn't take away from the truth of the reality of what you and I are. Because God has said it. And all the promises of God are yes in Christ. It's to live obediently. Galatians chapter 5. Putting off the sinful nature and allowing that fruit of the Spirit to live within us. That fruit of the Spirit to be shown and demonstrated. To live purposefully. Putting aside To gain Christ. Paul wrote Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 and 8. I consider all things to be rubbish. All things. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. That you see is the Holy Spirit coming alongside you and I. Coming along, Paul, assuring us we are children of God. The journey of life doesn't always bring to us one hundred percent assurance. the journey of life will end in 100% assurance. There is no doubt, absolutely no doubt, confirmed by the word, confirmed by the spirit, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. There are times in our life when perhaps this passage is more meaningful than others. Perhaps, Lord, we're at a stage of life or in our Christian walk where we're wondering why we have to listen to this while tomorrow's coming. Others that are here this evening, Lord, may be walking in in a pretty low valley. And perhaps the accuser is simply saying to them, look at where you are. How can you be a Christian? Father, here's the beautiful words that your spirit comes alongside our spirit as our advocate and speaks to us. We're children of God. What a glorious promise, what a glorious hope for all of us, as God's people. And it ends. It ends. In 100% assurance as we, as it were, open our eyes, the moment of our death, and behold Christ. Thank you. That you do not treat us as our sins deserve. Thank you for grace and for the gift of your Son. And knowing that we are loved by you. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.